welcome to Forever Canon, the podcast where we talk about seeming non-setups and far-reaching foreshadowing. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. And this week on Forever Canon, we're going to talk about chapters 13 through 16 of Fate of the Jedi, Book 9, Apocalypse. The chapter's in, well, I'll tell you this, by the end of the episode, everything is crazy time. <laughs> right? Man, there was there was one point, okay, like we hit the third chapter and I was like, I don't care about this at all. And then it, they hit one more sentence and I was like, I care about this a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was running into, you know, when, you, when you're reading and you're just like... Starting yeah, kind of, kind of losing focus. Yeah, nodding and off, focusing yeah. on. Why does, and then, why does like, reading just put you so directly to sleep? Not you exclusively, the plural inclusive all of us. You. Yeah. How? How? Why? Why? Why do onions make your eyes water? I know there's a chemical reason. Is it the smell of paper? Is it the smell of a book? Ah, it's like a forest to take a nap in or something. I don't know. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Put one next to my pillow at night. First. Bum, bum, bum. Previously on Forever Cannon, Vistara has no lightsaber, but her eyeballs are good. A Sith ambush is chaos. Jaina is chaos. Jag's two-month standoff has an intruder. And Moth Leckerson kneels to Dala with a hand from Abeloth. That was last week. Last week, Abeloth crossed the galaxy and... I don't know what coerced Dala into a partnership that she doesn't know is going to be a take your body over type of thing. At some point, no doubt, it seems to be this woman's end goal every time. She Dala seemed very just yeah okay that makes sense to me. Yeah, kind of thing. I think so. But that was last week. This week we start with chapter thirteen, where when Dorvan is in the Jedi Temple with his Sith escorts. And an available blaster handle hanging out of one of the guy's pockets. He's like, it's a trap and I know it. But I might rather die. Because he's thinking about how unbeatable, unstoppable, how unbelievably powerful this unknown entity of Abeloth is. Yeah, the tentacles going into him like... Uh, he doesn't want that. Like, no. like Lieutenant... Uh, uh, not Perova, Pogorski. <laughs> I almost called her pierogi. <laughs> <laughs> the Polish lieutenant. Man, that's the thing. Is like As scared as he is of this lady, we don't even know what she is, what she wants, and what she's capable of. Like We have vague ideas, but not specific information about her. Yeah, still. nothing concrete yet. This is a third of the <laughs> way through the final book. Mm -hmm. We know so little. It, one thing we know is that she's arrived back. From her trip across the galaxy to Exodo 2, the moon armor standoff with Jag, and that was where she tagged Dalla and made Leckerson kneel and teamed up with her. She's back already. And she's also, according to Wynn Dorvin, taking over more bodies. Wynn Dorvin's like, she can turn into my torturer lady. <laughs> <laughs> she's got Roki Kem. And she now, and. Lieutenant Pogorski. Oh my god, she can turn into three different people. And I'm like, you're probably off by about a thousand. Yeah. I don't know how many visitors really came to her planet before the Sith got there and then Luke and Dion Stad tracked them down there and all that crossover. But I'm not sure how many 
visitors she enticed from maybe what was that station? Sad Point Station. <laughs> <laughs> I'll never remember it now. No. I've given it no. a stupid funny name. But I'm not sure how many fake, uh, how many alternative bodies she would be able to transform into, but when Dorvin's like three, that's scary. <laughs> yeah. She's got, I mean, she's got to have way more than that, right? At least three or four of her previous transformed bodies have been killed. Yeah. So. And look at how scary this is. She could be three different people. It's desperation time. <laughs> so he snags that blaster out of that pocket. And he later finds himself alone with Abeloth meditating or something. In some sort of She's trance. in some sort of dissociative state where she's not apparently aware of her surroundings. She's not responsive when he calls her name or yells her name. Yep. So... He shoots her in the head six or seven times. And he pulls it, weighs it in front of her. Okay. Yeah, much does. Yeah, a lot of times. Just really wants to make sure that she's not going to survive, right? But we have information he doesn't have from the last book that's tied to the story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> book six on Peter, where. She came back to life and walked back in the room after Luke Skywalker bisected her halfway. Yep. He semi-bisected her. Windorvin doesn't have that information. He shoots her in the head a lot of times, though, because he's pretty sure it's going to take a lot. And then, seems like she's dead. But then she survives. Oh, what a twist. But in a brand new form that we've never seen before, a face of pure radiance, the size of a bantha, and as wispy as a cloud, floating out in the darkness of the computer core. She appeared vaguely human, with a long cascade of coarse yellow hair and tiny, deep-sunken eyes that shone from their sockets like stars at the bottom of a well. She turned into a ghost the size of a lion? Not lion. Elephant? Yeah. A sparkle ghost the size of an elephant. And she's like, ah, ha, ha. <laughs> Idiot. <laughs> Actually, to, to be more specific, she says, there is no escape for any of you. Dun, dun, dun. And it definitely looks that way. Yeah. He shot her in the head six or seven times. And here she is saying, you'll never get away. S- not in that body anymore. Roki Chem body shot in the head a lot. Now... Does she does she still have access to Roki to turning into Roki Kem? I what do you think? We don't know the specifics of her powers. This is speculation. Yeah, I don't I don't think so because she never turned into anybody else that she's had access to. Let's again. say let's let's rule out the person who was ripped out of her by Luke Skywalker, mm-hmm. Callista Ming, his ex girlfriend. Take her off the list. She hasn't turned back into Dionstad. She was definitely him when she tried to trick Luke and murder him. Mm-hmm. Um, she's, I, I can't think of all the things that she's been, but the leader of has she turned into anybody who's been dead? I don't think so. I think she's only taken on people's appearances while they're still alive. Yeah. Or at least have been taken physical control of. By yeah. Her. Like in they've ha- been tentacled in habits, their yeah, body exactly. or whatever. Right. And that's how, on Peter, she walks back in the room in a 
different body. Mm-hmm. Like you killed that one person's body that she inhabits, but she somehow inhabits more than one body simultaneously or like she can download or something. Yeah. You know? I think this radiant mist like glowing form is as close as we've seen to what she's actually is. You think so? Yeah. This is so like a force ghosty type of look. Mm-hmm. So what is she? Some non corporeal being of some sort and she's just been choosing to be solid be a golden haired silver eyed giant sharp grinned tentacle monster <laughs> yeah you think she chooses that form i think so i don't think anybody would ever choose that form i think that's what makes me think like that's her natural form as this hideous monster so so you think she's some kind of spirit mm-hmm. i think she's some kind of monster maybe we don't know that's the point Chapter 14, where Ben is zooming through tunnels. I don't know what these tunnels are, just like I didn't really understand the water pipes they were going through. All of this is very hard to visualize for me. I'm not a good three-dimensional space visualizer. Yeah. So, he's zooming through tunnels. Uh, (laughs) I'm picturing, like... A little like escape pod looking thing. It's like it's like a delivery system, right? It's yeah, like a for, cargo system, yeah. freight system. Yeah, yeah, going through all these little tubes, taking like ninety degrees. Is it turns an enclosed that... thing? Is it a flat disc? I think it's enclosed. See, I thought it was like a flat disc. Because he he was talking I, about it can I know it doesn't matter taking like so many G's that it was like. De- like compressing his spine and I pictured him on some sort of hexagonal coin <laughs> flat coin that's like a science fiction carnival ride final fantasy <laughs> Where uh, like, i guess final fantasy 10 those floating those discs, floaty discs tensors floating disc type of thingies but except like you know arms and legs strapped down to the sides of the thing like one of those big spinny carnival rides <laughs> i don't know he says he's pulling a lot of g's and he also says he's mad at everyone because mm-hmm. they're all blaming Vistara for having betrayed the Jedi's plans and setting off this gigantic Sith ambush that set them way back. He also reminds us the Horn kids were mind controlled and betrayed the Jedi. Nobody's blaming them, huh? Just in case you forgot. Just yep. in case you forgot. Ben zooms through all these tunnels on this platform, and we end up in a comedic misunderstanding. <laughs> I love this droid. See, I love the droid, but I hated this scene. I hated the joking right now. Mm-hmm. They're in the middle of a super serious mission, and Ben is mad, and his girlfriend is captured. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, ah, ha, ha, this stinking droid is sure is inconveniencing me, and he gets stamped with a barcode and whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the droid is funny. The scene is funny. I just think it's misplaced. It totally kills the tension of all the action that we just yeah. had. And the, the you know, the looming threat of Vistara having been captured and that's what's on Ben's mind. It just Oh man, it totally took me out of the story. Yeah. Maybe it was misplaced. Maybe yeah. I'm just being picky. The <laughs> only the only thing that is a is like a carryover because the jokes take away from it, but Ben being like, Alright, man. Yeah. Like Okay, fine. But at the same time, you know, Star Wars is always jokey in the serious moments. Yeah. 
Well, the running down the hallway, shooting blasters in the in the Death Star, commenting on how tall or short or smelly each other are. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, I guess it is what it is. But like, this kind of reminded me of oh my god, this is maybe why I hate it on a subconscious level. It reminds me of it must be episode two, right? That scene in the middle of the action where they're all of a sudden in the uh, the droid three PO gets his head stuck on a on a battle droid. Mm-hmm. He gets all pulled into pieces and and reassembled and stuff. And it's like this bunch of comedic foolishness juxtaposed against Anakin and Padme on the same sort of conveyor belts fighting for their life. Yeah, but like ten feet away, three PO is just having this slapstick comedy journey <laughs> yeah. like man i don't know it just kind of <laughs> deflates the ball a bit yeah like the that tension in the air that keeps everything tight just <laughs> just let a little bit of that out <laughs> yeah i don't know and and it's like he's on this this high g situation and he's feeling it in his brain and his stomach is doesn't feel it in the plums you know it is and then it's all of a sudden like, ah, ha, ha, ha. Mm-hmm. Tell your manufacturer the Jedi Temple has higher standards for shipping than this. Barcodes. <laughs> <laughs> Which, as I'm laughing about it, sure, right? Yeah. Rowdy shows up for more ha-has before Gisela and Valen zoom in on their own. I don't know, man. I'm picturing Sudbury's biggest nickel. <laughs> 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 they, they zoom in talking about, oh, Jane is in trouble. There's Sith following us. Also, I might have accidentally shot her. Hey! <laughs> Wait a second, Valen Horn. What did you just say? Yeah, because uh, as far as we know, you're still Abeloth crazy. That was the last time we heard and seen about them was they were mind controlled. Yep. And so now he's like, oh, yeah, I might have shot Jaina. Uh, all right. Uh, the deadpan delivery is on me, not necessarily written yeah. character. probably higher tension than that but sure thing bud sure thing accidents huh accidents happen all the time in battles don't they suddenly rowdy is gone and he's with luke skywalker searching a computer terminal that doesn't work and i'm all confused this was like there was a really sharp turn here where ben shows up He's with Rowdy, then the horns show up, and Rowdy leaves, and all of a sudden, Rowdy's with Luke Skywalker, and I didn't know these people were all close to each other. Yeah, they're all in, like, the same room. Because, like, we had just been zooming through tubes and tunnels. Yeah. I don't know. It's very disorienting. Maybe yeah. it's the high G's getting to me. Yeah, it, it, I think it's supposed to be, like, a mirror of the... It, there's so much the going on in chaos. chaos yeah. yeah. Well, I'm all confused. Yeah. And everything else on the page only gets more hectic when Jaina arrives yelling grenade and trailing Sith behind her attacking just as Valen said. Okay. One point of trust. She's got a hole in her gut though. Yep. That's not good. Ben tries to bargain with the high Lord that comes down the tube for Vistara's life. And he gets a shikar in his leg for his trouble. Yeah, it was dumb. Uh, I mean, I believe the motivation of it. It was a stupid choice. Yes. But I totally believe his motivation of, well, and he explains it a bit later on where he's like, well, he could have just killed me right away. And mm-hmm. he also could have stabbed me not in the leg. So he's playing games with me 
So I'm, I, I was right to stop and talk to this guy who's playing games. Yeah, well, Luke's been doing that to every single one they've come across. They have given everybody a chance to surrender. So, I mean, take that for what it is. But, you know, Ben walks away with a glass dagger in his leg and the handle has been snapped off. As you do. But then they just pull it out with the force. Mm-hmm. Which to me is like, this Shakar glass dagger thing comes from a culture with force users. Yeah. Why is it? Why is it lauded as such a deadly? <laughs> I think it's thing. more of a it's secondary like a disres- distraction. Is it like weapon. a disrespectful thing? Is it like a like a pol- socio political thing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. But he's got one in his leg, and then he doesn't, because it's just that easy to take it out, man. Ah, uh, as for the Sith, all the ones that were chasing him through this tube tunnel high G situation, quote, shooting from the flaming delivery portal was a fountain of blood and bone. Yay, good guy heroes. Yeah, because uh, they shut off the safety systems or something. They and... shut off the inertial compensator that would slow the the platform and also alter the gravity that you're experiencing and crumpled the end of the tube with a, with a grenade. Yep. And so essentially <laughs> they turned it into a pastry chef's <laughs> nozzle. Like icing thing. And bodies are coming down at unstoppable speeds and gross science fair volcano (laughs) spurting blood and bone through the sphincter of this collapsed tunnel Mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen these are our heroes and jaina even says good thinking yeah hey good plan by the way um just the total utter disregard for people that we consider to be evil. Yeah. Which has always kind of been a disgusting trait of the Jedi. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, mind you, we are a bit annoyed with offering surrender to every bad guy because they never take it. But that's how the bad guys are written. None of them have much nuance as yeah. Sith go as far as writing the Sith. The Sith are just. They're so bad, they're so bad, that only one of them out of an entire planet is potentially redeemable, and she blows it. But, yeah, they're so bad that we can turn them into a toothpaste tube and just (laughs) keep squirting them out. Because we're the heroes, man, and we're winning. I mean, wow. I mean, good lord. Ben even jokes about goo geysers. Yes, yes, he does. Goo geysers, Tim. Yeah. Goo geysers. Who are the good guys here? Huh? Oh, I like that. I like that. that I like that one. Chapter 15. Raynar Thole shows up. (laughs) (laughs) Last time we seen him, Luke Skywalker was like, I have a mission for you, right? Yeah. And it was like kind of in passing. And it was before the Jedi had come back and infiltrated Coruscant. Mm-hmm. Well, here he is on his mission. He's finding pillars on a planet in the Rio system in the Maracu sector. And at that point, six sentences into this chapter, I'm like, oh boy, I can feel myself already not caring. Too and many then, names. And then, later it gets cool, but first I got mad. 
Because it turns out Luke Skywalker has sent Raynar Thull to go find his old Killick colony. Mm-hmm. Hey, what a piece of shit. This guy has literally just recovered from the psychological trauma of 25 years ago. Yeah, he spent eight years recovering. He just recovered books ago. Mm-hmm. And you're sending him to go f- directly interface with his weakness and greatest fear of returning as a joiner. Luke Skywalker, what are you doing? Where is the compassion of the Jedi Order? Between this mission for Raynar Thull and casual goo geysers of Sith? <laughs> What is this Jedi Order that we're operating with? Yeah. What has the last 10 years of war turned everything into? Yeah, and it doesn't, it doesn't, the compassion isn't isn't there. That's a word we've never said. (laughs) But like tactically, because he, it makes a lot of sense, but it really is. Maybe even a conversation like we've talked about before between them. But I know this is going to be hard, but I need to ask you to do this thing. Yeah, like even just couch it with an understanding of I know I'm I'm this is awful to ask you to do. Yeah. And maybe they did and I forget that. I don't remember that. <laughs> Here's what I think. I think Luke Skywalker doesn't tell anyone his plans until the very last second. <laughs> Actually, until they're over. Yeah, I knew that was coming. I planned on that. (laughs) (laughs) If something goes wrong, it's not his plan. Called it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He's like, no. Oh, if we lost, that wasn't my plan. We win every time, I called it. (laughs) 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 So, Raynar Thull's out here in the far reaches of the galaxy looking for information about the Celestials, Tim. Mm -hmm. Why? How many times have we heard about Celestials in this nine-book series that we're finishing the first third of the ninth book here? Book one, we heard about. Yeah. How many, like, more times? <laughs> Maybe Like, once. a lot? Has this been leaned <laughs> into a lot as a very important plot thread that's a subplot here of our, of our non-main characters? Not even mentioned. A few times. It's yeah. like, the word has been there. Mm-hmm. But now it's so important, we're going to send Raynar Thull across the galaxy to face his darkest fears <laughs> and psychological trauma <laughs> because it's that important. Even though, you know, we haven't like heard about it much. This is, this is one of the failings of this series. And mm-hmm. I don't mean like it's, it makes the series bad. I just mean it's one of the things that lets me down is there's... A lot of sudden changes. A lot of things that are suddenly important or suddenly not important. Disjointedness. Han and Leia ended a book in the Undercity of Coruscant. Suddenly not important because they've traversed the galaxy over to the Hapes Cluster, roughly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Raynar Thull has this, this great breakthrough and he's been a little thread through the entire story, which is fun. But now he's on this very important mission to track down information about the Celestials, who we've heard about like two times. Mm-hmm. And if it's so important that you're going to introduce it at the end of Act One of your final book, 
I I wanted to hear about it more through the other eight books. Yeah. Because maybe that just goes more to like, we don't have any information about Abeloth, man. We have two sets of villains, right? We have the Sith. We have Abeloth. One we know a good amount about. We know their history. We've gotten to know their people. We know their myths and stuff like that. We know their culture. And then the other one, we're like, beloved queen, bow. And don't get tentacled. I don't know. Yeah. Really strong. And that's about it. Just this, just, just the celestials. We gotta, we gotta know about them. So Reynard Thol has come out here with Lobaka, Techly, and C-3PO. And they found carvings of tentacles on the pillars at this Killick Hive. Wherever the criff all this has come from, but let's keep moving. <laughs> tentacles on the pillars, bugs in the ground, of course. Rock and roll. They feel a hungry presence chasing them to a mountain. Ooh, and a giant bug explodes from the ground. Click, clack, click, clack. They're gross. Yeah. They're huge. They're killicks. It it destroys their speeder. Yeah, they have to jump it, out of the speeder. It, this and thing's it, huge. It, it eats it up into little balls and then spits out the little balls because they don't taste good. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, this giant monster killick that has burst from the ground and eats their speeder speaks basic <laughs> and invites them to the celestial palace. Well, it wasn't that easy. <laughs> We just found out three paragraphs ago. We got to find out about Celestials. And now here we go. A giant bug eats our ship and invites us to the Celestial Palace. It only took a month. Information incoming. Yeah, they've been on this mission for a month. That would have been like when they're on that station that dealt with the holding the gravity together. They center point. No, no, no. The The one in sad point. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) They, uh, yeah, no, I'm never going to remember the name either. That should have been where they put the, hey, why don't we talk to the Killicks? They made center point. Because they the Killicks came up a lot. Mm-hmm. And so have these Rakatans about, like, they built ancient civilizations. And then the Killicks, have, they built center point at Karelia and Or the Karelian system, I mean. And, and all, yeah, they could have, you know. Just, that's. Hey. But you know what? It's actually okay that the Killicks haven't come up a lot because Raynar Thole is our secret thread to the Killicks all the way through. Yeah. We have actually been talking about them and thinking about them a lot. When we're seeing him in the early books, he's in the detention center. Yeah. Recovering still with Techly and Silgal over, overseeing him. And then we see him having some more freedom and he joins a mission to break... Leia out of prison, and he also before that he's eating sandwich on the steps of the temple. Yeah, that's saved by Windorvan. He's been there all through and through, so that's cool, and a, that is a nice subtle connection to the Killicks. Mm-hmm. The Killicks, I don't think, are going to be the like solution to the problem of Abeloth, right? I think they're just going to be an information dump. Yeah, but they're so interesting. Case in point. They're walking down the hallways of the Celestial Palace. And we see... Well, first of all, after we spend an entire page... An entire page... Talking about all the precautions we've taken... To not get brainwashed by the Killick pheromones and become joiners. We spend an entire page talking about how that's not going to happen. Yeah. And then at the end of that... Raynar Thol goes, but... 
If it needs to, it will. Yeah, we'll because do it if we have to. our mission of stopping Abeloth is more important than any one of us single Jedi, or even all three of us. We will willingly become joiners to get the information. And he's like, hopefully one of us stays sane long enough to get the information out to the Jedi, right? After we spend an entire page talking about how we're not going to do it, we've got these nose plugs, we got this other thing that blocks the pheromones in your brain, we're yeah. fine. Taking an injection, got some nose plugs, but we'll be good for it. Even if these nose plugs fail, we got a week. Yeah, we definitely won't become joiners. So let's head off for a meeting with the queen. And the interesting thing that happens on the way is they pass a carving of the Carillion system. Mm-hmm. Five planets, two of them in a close orbit with each other. And Reinarthal's like, that looks familiar. Is that Carillia? And the bug guard who's pissed off at them because Lobaka's outright telling them we're not going to join you. You can't even hang the bait out there, dude. Anyways, the guard's all annoyed with him and he's like, we don't, I don't know. I wouldn't know it by your stupid plebeian names. We call it whatever the hell the we call Five it. Rocks or oh, something. Five Rocks, yeah. Which was actually, I thought, a cool evocative name. Mm-hmm. Now, the next question is, did you make that? And he says, yes. And then they keep walking. We don't talk about that anymore. The question that that begets is why? Why did you make that solar system? Mm-hmm. Is it a... Because we could, because we were guided, because Raynar Thole, being a powerful force user, when he joined with the Killix, whatever dark force was there worked through his power to direct all of the Killix mm-hmm. to war against the Chiss. So they can be used and manipulated. Yeah. They can be a tool. So why, is the question, was Karelia created? And then they left center point station there. Like, was that the thing that they made to make the solar system? Remember all that speculation back in the last series where they're like, it, it could have been used to pull all the planets of the Karelian system into their orbits and make this solar system. Yeah, make a solar system. Yeah. Which is a hell of a tie through from these two series. Yeah. I just did a, That's awesome. did a rude scissoring gesture with my fingers to tie these things together. But seriously, having center point was such a big deal of the last book in the first arc, right? In the first act, it was so important in the first three books, center point, center point, center point. And then we use it as a weapon and it gets destroyed later in the books. But all of that having been a focus of the last series. And now that was a creation of the Killix or at least a tool of somebody who learned from them turns out they created that solar system where that center point tool sits. Now take that mirror ring, that parallel to sinkhole station. Whoa. Got it. I knew it started with a sad point, not a sad hole <laughs> over to sinkhole station in this cluster of engineered black holes. There's another tool left there. Why did they make Corellia? Why was there a tool left there? Why is there a tool, this gravity manipulation tool, left in the Maw? Yeah. These Killix are so interesting in ancient Star Wars history terms. 
Yeah. Who are the Rakatans? They must have been. They must have been controlling colonies of Killix to do all this work. Yeah, like the the Killix were the working class of the. Well, they can't be or like Ra- slaves. Rakatans can't be Killix. Rakatans, whatever you want to call them, Rakatans, because their name is not. What's that word? So when it's the same forwards, it's not. They don't have a palindromic name. Mm-hmm. You know, it has to be the same forwards and backwards. Uruthot, Thurugogot, whatever the hell this thing's name is that we go talk to the queen. <laughs> yeah. She's the queen, the queen of this, this ancient Killick. What are they called? Hive. God. Yes. God. Oh, we go see the queen. The kind. After this guy says, yeah, that's our work. And I'm like, excuse me. We just move on because he's mad at Lovaka. Mm-hmm. The whole hive is mad at him because they all share a mind. We go to meet with the queen and they say, now climb on top of the queen and clean her while you <laughs> ask her about celestials. And she says, ooh, ooh, Abeloth. Because Ray Arthur's like, hey, what do you know about celestials? And she's like, let me guess the name, Abeloth. And he's like, how did you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> man, that's so cheesy. Yeah. Because I sealed Ooh, her away. Did you mean Abelard? Right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's cheesy, but... but in scary bug reverberations. Yeah, and then the bugs like, yeah, we imprisoned her, so they built the maw. Yep. With that tool that they left there, St. Cool Station. They built Carillion System. With Centerpoint Station. And then they just went How off. How many and... more of these things are there other places? You know what? Them just leaving after completing a task like that is more testament to the character of someone is in control of them. Yeah. That was someone else's goal. And they're like, done. Got to go to the Maw now to yeah. build a prison for the Celestial Abeloth. Yeah. And... So, so, so she's a Celestial. Yeah. What does that mean? What does that mean to you? Well, we've talked about we talked about this when we first heard Celestial back in book one. <laughs> yeah, the very first time of three. Um, we I said like normal theological and angelic godlike creature that just kind of we've does never whatever heard of God in Star Wars. No, there's only the Force, as far as the religious factions we've really encountered interpret things. Yeah. In Star Wars, we focus on the Jedi and the Sith, who their god is magic that they can throw out of their fingers. Mm-hmm. Right? What about all the mundane people of the world? They must have gods and beliefs and and inexplicable things in nature that they've explained with a higher power. I'm sure. Right. But we never really hear or focus on any of that other than for it to be lesser than the Force. Mm-hmm. So what the hell... Is a celestial. The creators? And why is it a capital C? Is it the creators of the force? Maybe? I... Right. Where... What is Abeloth? Mm-hmm. They know. These Killicks know her by name and by species, we'll say. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, I was so bored when they were like, stones on a hill. At the beginning of this chapter, I was riveted by the time we got to this historical revelation piece, this info dump that's kind of 
cheekily done. Mm-hmm. Or and, at least that's the way I read. I didn't read it in a stupid voice. And, Ooh. <laughs> and where they got me was with those pictograms on the wall. You had the you had Carillion system, and then you had the half the supernova that's only exploding in yeah, one direction. One side of it that's that's not exploding. There was a giant bird thing being pulled down by tentacles. There was all kinds of these weird relief carvings that are some sort of foreshadowing or some sort of parallel or information about what this is or how many other how it works or other like the protectors and defenders thing like some other mythology connected to the celestials yeah and how much tech technological things are out there that the killicks have made something that can control a supernova that's all i really want and maybe that should be an important thing we focus on reading every book. What have they made? <laughs> we could Corellia, <laughs> the excuse me, the Coral system. Yep. And Center Point Station, the Maw, and Sinkhole Station. And those are the those just are the two ones... very interesting things. Yeah, and other than the actual Corellian, the Corellian system, Coral system. Yeah. The rest is destroyed, Maybe as far as we know. Just the star. Center point's gone. Sinkhole's gone. Yeah, those stations are gone. Yeah. yeah. But the, the the prison remains. The system remains. Is center point wasn't active all that time though, so it wasn't like holding the Carillion system together. No, it just like pulled Sinkhole them. Station was actively yeah. holding the moth. I don't know, man. I don't yeah. know. They're so interesting. They are so interesting. And when Raynar Thull tells the queen, yeah, Abeloth. And she's like, ah, we imprisoned her. And he's like, well, she broke out of prison. Uh, the ground starts quaking and rumbling and, and Killicks start running everywhere to and fro. <laughs> like every, the hive gets busy and everything goes bonkers. Because, quote, the galaxy is about to perish. The end of time has come. Says 3PO, quoting the Killick Queen. The Killick's imprisoned her, and they're so afraid. They're like, okay, we but we've gotta get ready to go. But it's so prophetic. Mm-hmm. It's such prophecy. When she escapes her prison, and we know it's temporary. Yeah. She wasn't shocked. She just went, okay, everybody, it's the apocalypse. Yep, time to get ready to... Hey. Whatever. What's the front of the book say? Yes. Hey, everybody. Here it comes. It's the apocalypse. <laughs> and according to the Killicks, it's on the back of Avaloth. Man, I am loving this chapter. Mm-hmm. Like this, I just want to read about Killicks and all the cool things that they did that we don't know about. Them as creators, that's so interesting. They're Avaloth jailers. Why? What did they know about her? Who put them to work to build that prison? Celestials. Yes. Tim. At least. It's plural. So there's not just Abeloth. Mm-hmm. What is the other one and where is that? Is there a prison for that? What are we talking about right now? Hmm. And in the lore, we don't know. This is brand new. Yeah. To me. And I've read, you know, by this point, having read it the first time, I've read like 40 Star Wars books. I've never really heard of the Celestials 
in historical detail. Yeah. Not in any sort of real context. But here the Killicks go, yeah, I know that. And I know one of them by name. And oh, she's out. The world is over. We're all going to die. Chapter 16. Back to the Jedi Temple. <laughs> exactly where I don't want to be. I don't want to be here. I want to talk to that bug. I just, I, that's, okay. Back to the Jedi Temple. Outside the computer core. Dun, dun, dun. The room that they need to access. Because all the other computer terminals have been disconnected. Yep, they've made it so it's impossible to do anything from those. You have to hook right to the main system. Yeah, they've had to go to the uh, computer core. I'm picturing it like a glowing room in the center of the temple. Yeah. I mean, why not? Because <laughs> <laughs> it's such a special place. We got to go to the computer core. Where? After two days of home invading and having been ambushed, and now he here we sit in the hallway... Outside of our final objective, and the Jedi are ready for their final strike. Get the droid to the computer. Yep. We tried to get him to so many other computers for two days. None of them work. Now we go to the main computer, the core. Okay. I don't know things about networking. I bet that's the thing. Probably. I'm sure there's like some sort of central processing hub. Some main server somewhere. Where you can like bypass all the other, you know, shutdown stations. Just, uh, uh, I don't know things. It's time to start the final strike. We're going to get the droid to the computer to turn off the blast shields outside so everybody can come in and we attack from the inside and the outside at the same time. Like reverse Oreo. Mm-hmm. First, some acknowledgement from Gisela who says, when she and Valen had volunteered to enter the temple with the first wave of Jedi, Master Skywalker himself had said that he would be proud to have the Horn siblings guarding his back, despite the Abeloth-induced psychosis that had caused them to betray him and Ben on Nam Koryos. And if Luke Skywalker could show that kind of loyalty to them, then Gisela could sure as the Void do the same for him. This tells us two things that we've been wondering about for 16 chapters. Does Luke know that they went crazy and tried to kill him? Yes. Mm -hmm. Are they still crazy? No. Because she doesn't think to herself, I fooled him and I will get my revenge when I get the chance. She's talking loyalty to Luke Skywalker. Yeah. They're not crazy right now. They're trustworthy. So Valen actually did accidentally shoot <laughs> Jaina Solo, the sword of the Jedi. Shot her. Just gonna, that's uh, kind of, if, if, if we all live to tell the tale, that's going to be a fun thing to joke about in the barracks or in the mess hall yeah. or whatever, right? Remember when I shot you? Hey, gotcha. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of people get you, huh? Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like a pride, a uh, uh, point of pride for Valen <laughs> Horn. I shot my own teammate. But... I thought this right after I, I put my little sticker on the page. I wonder if Luke Skywalker is using them as bait for Abeloth, as oh, like yeah. an Abeloth proximity alarm. Hey, did the tw- did the did the twins make a weird eye at you? Oh, they're not twins. The brother and sister. Did they uh, did they get a weird, strange look on their face and freak out and run away? Abeloth's here. <laughs> I wonder if it, he's been so. What was the 
discompassionately callous callously manipulative of his own Jedi lately. That's why all the crazy Jedi are here. Yeah, maybe that is why they were all so involved in the initial reinvasion of Coruscant. At least those were the perspectives we got, right? Because those are the characters we've been following since the beginning yeah. because they went crazy. But I do think it's to foreshadow for us that they're going to go crazy again because nobody knows that Abeloth is here and that she left for a minute, but she's still here back again. I don't know. They're not crazy now. So they got that going for them. Yep. But I don't know, man. I wouldn't be surprised if Luke Skywalker was being a piece of shit. (laughs) (laughs) We've got two teams in the hallway. We've got Luke, Jaina, and Corrin on Team A. And we've got Ben and the Horn Kids on Team B. Team A is decoy power people. Look how strong and valuable all of us targets are. Draw them away. (laughs) Come and get us. From the computer core. Team B is teenage core slicers. Yep. Take that droid and all four of you with your sassy attitudes get into the computer <laughs> and get the work done. <laughs> the decoys. Oh, so, t- so Team B follows in the footsteps of Team A, right? And the decoy team has left a six Sith shot in the head. Yeah. Single shot, murder kill. Really quick. Like, yeah. It was. Oh, trap's gone. Okay, uh, the shooting stuff. Yeah, everybody's expertly executed by good guys. Slicer team finds all these Sith executed in the hallway, and they also find an anguished presence inside of the computer core and a darkness in it. Ooh. Well, the anguished presence is Windorvan hung up on the wall. Yeah, <laughs> all beaten and bloody and bruised, ranting and raving about how Roki Kem is not dead. Yeah. See her in that chair there? Apparently, this is where he found Abeloth meditating and yeah. shot her in the head six times. So we come into the computer core, and there's a dead body sitting in the chair. And when Dorvin stuck to the wall somehow, not described, mm-hmm. ranting and raving like a crazy man. So Gisela... Largely ignores what he's saying until, well, everything goes once again bonkers. And we end this chapter with a not dead Roki Kem. We have Valen unconscious in the entryway. We have Ben missing. We have seen Vistara running for her life. But most importantly, Abeloth has become the computer core, Tim. And where did she learn that from? Just like you said, man. Yeah. Back That from... was the story of Callista Ming. And we talked about it early in the series when we first were introduced to her. And I actually looked up a character. Mm-hmm. She and Luke Skywalker fell in love during the war against the Empire's re- rebellion. <laughs> you know, like the second coming of the Empire after, the, after you killed the Empire the first time. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, there's more Empire than just the Emperor, huh? There's like moths and stuff, and they're still trying to, all right, all right, war's on. Anyways, back then, she was a Force user, and she died, and then she was so sad that Luke Skywalker wouldn't be her boyfriend that she... No, that's false. Her boyfriend died, and then she was sad, and she died? I don't remember. She ended up being in a computer system. She put her Force ghost (laughs) into the CPU. Yeah. (laughs) And now Abeloth has done the same thing at the Jedi Temple. 
Yeah. But Abeloth isn't limited to one form at any given time either, potentially. Yeah. So her being here in the computer core does not mean she's not other places. Yeah, I wouldn't think so. She fried uh, the droid up, too, while she was in there. But hey, man. Luke's long-lost girlfriend, Callista Ming, is paying off again. She had a big comeback earlier, getting ripped out of Appleot's essence and leaving a big scab. (laughs) (laughs) She's back again. This time the tables have turned and Abeloth is using whatever she learned from her. Even though she doesn't belong to her anymore. She still has that information. Noted. Mm-hmm. Also, she is a celestial. Whatever that may mean. Something big. Capital the, letters. The end of this chapter is, I'm going to say it again, it's been the theme of the book so far. Chaos. Yeah. Gisela gets it in the computer core and then it's like Windorvan screaming and there's a dead body and the ghost in the computer and her brother's unconscious and the star is running for her life and Ben has disappeared. What? What a fun cliffhanger for our episode. Yeah. In our little four chapter format. Chaos. The kids all fall apart, man. Where are all the adults? Find out next week. When we cover Fate of the Jedi, Book 9, Apocalypse, Chapters 17 through 20. I'm Justin. I'm Tim. Chaos. Rings. Sonic. Jaina. More killings. That's what we need. If you build it, they will kill it. For any comments and questions, you can hit us up at Forever Canon Podcast at gmail.com. Forever Canon Podcast is a Jay Plazer production. Catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and YouTube at Jay Plazer. Check us out.